Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. It's the 9th of June. That may mean almost nothing to you. Um, In my life, it's the day uh, upon which I was born. Now, I would prefer to celebrate my rebirth day with you um, because the day that I came to the knowledge of what God had done for me in Jesus Christ is probably a more significant day than the day that he gave me breath. But today's the day he gave me breath, so we celebrate today. Really, uh, I think that on our birthdays, we ought to celebrate our parents. So let me just uh, give a shout-out to Ruthann this morning. Um, Mom, this is really your day. There you go. It's Mother's Day. Really, Mother's Day is whatever day your babies were born. So today's really my mom's Mother's Day versus the day in May when everybody else celebrates it. So um, here's the way I want to begin this morning. Um, Can we take a knee? Can, Can we take a knee for just a moment? So I can still hear my Coach Fife say that. All right, girls, let's take a knee. So Coach Fife was one of the football coaches at Plant High School where I went to high school. He also coached our girls' softball team. He was was like the guy who was all alone in his maleness with 20 uh, high school-age girls. Suffice it to say, um, we were not always purely focused on the ball. I mean, I was focused on the ball, but not not every not all of my teammates were focused on the ball. Um, Whether or not the ponytail was coming, you know, precisely out of the back of the hat in the right way. I mean, you know, da 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 da. Um, Can we take a knee? All right, girls, let's take a knee. Pretty much every day, certainly before every game, no matter if we were playing at home or away, Coach Fife would bellow out at some point. All right, girls, let's take a knee. We all complied. We never gave it a second thought. Um, I was absolutely able to distinguish what we were doing from kneeling in church. I was able to distinguish what we were doing from what I had seen men do when the Queen of England knighted them. I was able to distinguish different forms of kneeling then, and I am able to distinguish different forms of kneeling today. Um, I I will tell you, it will... um, it's unlikely that I will ever be able to get the image of a police officer kneeling on a man's neck to the point of his death out of my mind. In the same way, I will never be able to rid my mind of having seen my brothers in Christ dressed in orange jumpsuits forced to kneel on a beach where murderous members of ISIS beheaded them. Kneeling images are sticky. They don't go away, and they have lots of variant meanings. So we will never be able to change the act uh, of others kneeling in solidarity when a moment calls them to do so. And we should uh, never seek to limit the freedom of any individual who feels called to kneel in humility before a holy God. Let's just be mindful of that. I don't want people to tell me I can't kneel. 
whenever I feel led to kneel in humility before a holy God. I'm not saying that everyone who acts, uh, who everyone who kneels is doing so for that reason, but I don't want my freedom limited um, either. People kneel in all kinds of places for all kinds of reasons with all kinds of motivations, some pure, some not. I'm not here to judge that. So in the same way that you and I would not want to be told we could not kneel at an altar to receive the bread and the cup from the hand of our pastor, let's not allow kneeling, the kneeling of others, to produce some venomous rage in our hearts. People kneel. Daniel refused to kneel to Darius because he was kneeling before the living God. Psalm 95.6 says, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. And in, and in case you're worried, Romans 14.11, God himself says, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. I mean, don't, don't worry. Don't worry or fret that others kneel in times and places that you and I might find inappropriate. Philippians 2 guarantees a future day, guarantees a future day when every knee, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, I acknowledge that today is not that day. But as I kneel and as others kneel for various reasons in various places and spaces, I am holding in my heart and in my mind that day when kneeling will mean one thing, and it will be in the honor of one God, and we will all do it together with a single motivation. Next up, Nick Pitts, fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. We're going to talk about uh, a number of things, uncomfortable conversations with a black man, Romney marching with evangelicals, and um, a fun story about a found treasure. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Nick Pitts. He is a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. He tweets at J. Nick Pitts. Nick, welcome back. Carmen, so great to be with you and happy birthday. Thank you, sir. Thank you for not singing. Not a big fan of that. I mean, you know, no, people... If I, if I, yeah. I, think, uh, I think we want to keep your listeners listening as best we can. And if I sang, then the yeah, I, that me. would guarantee, guarantee same, that the, the die would turn. Same issue. <laughs> <laughs> God loves the sound of my voice. Few others do. Okay. So um, uh, let's talk about Mitt Romney. Um, you know, people kneel for lots of reasons. People march for lots of reasons. Uh, talk with us about Mitt Romney taking to the streets with a lot of other evangelicals. Well, I don't even know that I would describe him as an evangelical. This might be part of the conversation. Um, but yeah. marching um, in memory, in solidarity with those who are marching uh, for George Floyd. Yeah, yeah, it was a very, um, it was an interesting, interesting, and not, and I would say encouraging piece to be able to see uh, Senator Mitt Romney representing Utah um, uh, was out there on Sunday during the Black Lives Matter uh, march in solidarity. Uh, really was just fascinating. Taking after his father, his father uh, George Romney used to be governor 
of Michigan uh, back in the 60s. With, uh, actually, Romney tweeted a photo over the weekend of his dad marching in civil rights marches back in the 60s. David French had a great point on this. He, he kind of channeled and brought up Miles Law, which is this idea of where you stand depends on where you sit and speaks to the significant influence our social, religious, and cultural experiences have on our positions. And so just like for many of your listeners, the biblical narrative really does influence how they view the world. Their family has a very significant influence on how they interact with the world. Well, we found that to be true again uh, yesterday with, or two days ago with Senator Romney. Where he sits is he, he sat around his father. He learned from his father. And as a result of that, he stood with marchers and protesters. And as best as I can tell, he is the only Republican senator to take a stand uh, and protest during this time. So, um you know, I think that provokes the question a generation from now or two generations from now when um, our children and grandchildren are looking back um, on these days and remembering them. Mm-hmm. What kind of images will we have left for them? Um, they may not remember going with us to uh, to a march, but they they likely will remember if there's any sort of uh, visual record of it. And so I do think mm-hmm. that when we talk about uh, the conversations around our tables and when we talk about what we're saying in front of our kids, where we're taking them, what we're showing them and how we're helping them interpret the events of the day. You know, a generation from now, two generations from now, that's a U.S. senator who's making a decision um, about oh, yeah. uh, about the treatment of people. Um, it's not lost on me that the governor of Michigan um, is, you know, that's quite a different thing today than it was uh, when Mitt Romney was the governor of that same state. Yeah, uh, uh, you're completely correct. History is going to have a record uh, of what has been done. And what what's fascinating and what I what I hope that we're going to be able to see is kind of similar to what King did during the 60s. King was so significant. He was such a smart tactician when he came. He knew that there was great power in a protest. And so and King knew that his presence had ability to shine a bright light on a particular issue as well as on particular cities. And so what King would do, King would make sure that there were local leaders in the area that had access to the uh, to Channel Hamilton music fame that had access to the room where it happens. And so King would always pair his presence during these marches to making sure that local leaders had access and were at the table to be able to enact change. Now, probably one of the concerns of the Black Lives Movement right now has always been they've shined a light really well on issues, but they haven't been able to produce any lasting policy change. Well, what we see with Mitt Romney is that this is an individual, one, that not only have can bring a lot of presence to a particular issue and highlight it, we now see an individual that has access to the rooms whereby policy decisions can be made to create a more perfect union. And let me um, let me say here uh, to those who are listening and um, may be confused that uh, because you walk alongside people um, who who are who have signage and, um, you know, using the language of Black Lives Matter, that, that does not mean an alignment with um, with an organization. That means um, an alignment with an understanding that we are at a point in history where, um, as Dr. Linda Mental said yesterday, 
Um, you know, if you live on a street and one house is on fire, that's the house you give attention to right now. And right now, yeah. um, the black community's house is on fire. And so we as neighbors um, rush in to help. And that does not mean that every house on the block doesn't matter. It means that right now that house matters the most, because if that house burns down, um, we, we all have, uh, you know, a, a great and grievous challenge to deal with. And so um, so when we talk about Black Lives Mattering, we're not saying that every life doesn't matter. We're saying that right now an emphasis needs to be placed on these particular lives and life of this community. Hey, Nick, um, when we uh, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, I'd love for you to share with our audience um, who is Emmanuel Acho and why are we talking about his uncomfortable conversations with a black man? That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. It gets so hard just trying to figure it out, fighting down, trying to believe God, trying to watch the words of my mouth and stay on the Rejoining my conversation with Nick Pitts. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. You can follow him on Twitter at JNickPitts. Um, all right. Who is Emmanuel Acho? Um, and what are uncomfortable conversations with a black man? Yeah, uh, Emmanuel, uh, you know, they always say we're, I'm down here in Dallas. And, you know, they always say everything's bigger here in Texas. We always try to find connections here in Texas. Well, Emmanuel has his roots down here in Texas. Went to high school actually here in Dallas at a private school Um called St. Mark's School of Texas. It's a very prominent private school here and really was just a phenomenal standout uh, linebacker. Uh, ended up going to the University of Texas, got drafted uh, into the NFL, played a few years in the NFL, and then eventually made his way into the broadcasting booth. Well, Emmanuel has decided now at this moment that we all have a role to play, and Emmanuel has has captivated a, a significant part of uh, the American populace by producing these videos that are just absolutely just captivating, that is trying to help uh, Americans, and specifically white Americans, to better understand um, the everyday uh, kind of the everydayness of being a black American and really is, is bringing to light and sharing stories of kind of some of the difficulties as well as just some of the norms that African-Americans face in the U.S. today. And uh, a lot of people are paying attention to what Emmanuel Acho is saying. Um, it's not lost on me that his parents are first generation Nigerian immigrants who came mm -hmm. here with nothing. Um, and pursued an education. And, you know, he talks about the advantages that he has um, you know, as, a, as an American, uh, as a, a genuinely African American. Um, yeah. and, and he talks in these uncomfortable conversations with a black man about things that most other people would never talk about in public. And so I want to commend it to every white listener out there. Everyone who's white and is listening, go check out Emmanuel Acho's Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. Trust me when I tell you, you will be helped by it. Do you think that's fair to say, Nick? Oh, my goodness. Carmen, yes, I completely agree. And so, as you know, like I'm, I'm just a research guy. So what, one of the fascinating things that we continue to see here in the American populace is that increasingly just you know, white Americans and, and as well as just a, a 
all all were very homogeneous when it comes to our racial makeup of friends. And so there was a study that was put out, and in a 100 friend scenario, the average white person has 91 white friends. There's one each of black, Latino, Asian, mixed races, and other races as well, and three friends of unknown race. The average black person here in the U.S. has 83 black friends, eight, with eight white friends, two Latino friends, zero Asian friends, and three mixed race friends. And so what we're finding is, is that there is a great, um, there's a, there's a s expansive divide to a large degree where we're, we're not really, uh, knowing in a friendship manner, the other side's plight and their everydayness. And, and as Emmanuel brings up so beautifully in these videos is these are just conversations that you would have with your friend when you asked, how was your day? And they would tell you certain things that happened during their day that were either really good or really bad. Well, what we know is that we're just not having those conversations with individuals that are largely look a little bit than us. And, and because of that, it's really easy to other the other person and discount what they say. Well, what Emmanuel does in a very just persuasive way is he's able just to articulate and just share some of those difficulties that it is. And, and I think it's just, it's so powerful one, but also two, it really does illuminate a great gap here in the U S of in this land of the free that we don't necessarily, we aren't making friends with individuals that look a little bit different than us. And that can be very challenging, especially when we're trying to address these race issues today. All right. Now I want to pivot. Um, I came across this story. Um, it's uh, it's on CNN.com, um, and it is about a found treasure. A treasure chest hidden in the Rocky Mountains for a decade has finally been found. I think this is a fun story, um, so uh, share it with our audience. You know, uh, I, I, as a former Tennessean, a Tennessean here in Texas, we, you know, I, we've been singing it, but I didn't actually know it was true. Wish that I was on old Rocky Top. Um, and I wish that I would have been on old Rocky Top to find this treasure. So in, in, in the Rocky Mountains for the past decade, there were some uh, individuals that had searched for treasure chests filled with gold, rubies, emeralds, and diamonds. But an 89-year-old art and antiques collector who, who created the treasure hunt made the announcement on his website, uh, Forrest Finn, uh, that this, this treasure uh, is something. And so it was a, he said, I, what I thought was so fascinating is kind of his quote, he said, it was under a canopy of stars in the lush, forested vegetation of the Rocky Mountains and not moved from the spot where I hit it more than 10 years ago. I don't know if the person who found it, but the poem in my book led him to the precise spot. So it is, yeah, it's just very fascinating. 350,000 people from all over the world went hunting for the treasure. Uh, the 24-line poem published in Finn's 2010 autobiography, The Thrill of the Chase, were the only clues some quit their jobs to fully dedicate their lives to the hunt. Some even died trying. Um, I do think that um, the the connection here that I want to make for our listeners, Nick, is, you know, what would we, what kind of quest would we quit our jobs to go and seek and find? What would we sell uh, for the pearl of great price? What kind of um, treasure is there for the Christian and what is it worth? Um, this particular treasure was estimated to be worth about a million dollars Um and it was, uh, you know, it was hidden away by Finn to inspire people to explore nature. Um, and, and he did that, right? 350,000 people went on a, you know, on a quest. Um, talk with us about the Christian quest for the greatest treasure. 
Yeah, yeah. So there's there's definitely elements that you see that this is a modern day Matthew thirteen forty four right that uh, that Jesus says that uh, that a man finds a treasure hidden in a field, and for everything he sells everything in order to one uh, go buy the field and then to be able to secure the treasure. Uh, I whenever I think about that parable, I think about the radical redefinition of what happiness is. Happiness used to be that which brought me joy and pleasure. And so that was the stuff that this person had to sell in order to buy the, the greater treasure, which is that hidden in a field. When an individual finds and identifies and, and comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, happiness is no longer defined by that which brings them happiness, but rather by that which brings them closer to that treasure hidden in a field. In this particular instance, that there is a literal treasure hidden in a field, but as we know to be true, that treasure hidden in a field is of great value that Jesus has paid, that Jesus paid his entire life for, in order that we might be able to find the happiness which can bring us closer to Him, regardless of whatever we go through in life. Um, I uh, I'm captivated by the story, but also encouraged to know that so many have tasted and seen and have secured that treasure. And hopefully we understand how valuable it is. It's something that that, that even the angels yearn to hear Peter articulates. Uh, and we might be individuals that not only can speak of this treasure, but speak of a greater treasure found in Jesus. Amen. 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 So fun, right? All right, Nick, thank you so much. As always, we'll talk to you again soon. So good. Blessings. We'll be right back. All right, the Southern Baptist Convention is the largest Protestant denomination. Well, I'm using the word denomination here loosely. Uh, I don't think they call themselves a denomination. It's the largest constellation of Protestant churches in the country. And uh, they have an executive committee. Ronnie Floyd is the head of the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, He's made a very public statement on racism, and he is joining me next to talk about it. Stay tuned right here to Mornings with Carmen. One day Jesus was invited to visit the home of Martha and Mary. And while Martha spent the whole time running around serving guests, her sister Mary sat and listened at Jesus' feet. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Let's be honest, we've all had our Martha moments. Our modern lives get so jam-packed that a quiet, uneventful evening has become a rare luxury and our families suffer because of it. In the end, Jesus told Martha, you were worried and upset about so many things, but only one thing is important. Mary has chosen the better thing, and it will never be taken away from her. Is your life moving so fast that you're missing out on the best part? Take some time to slow down and enjoy a meaningful relationship with your teen. There's more from Mark Gregston on Parenting Today's Teens website. Get helpful tips for moms and dads when you visit parentingtodaysteens.org. Joining me now is Ronnie Floyd. Uh, Ronnie heads up the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention, which is the largest... uh, grouping constellation of Protestant churches in the United States of America. Ronnie, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. 
Good morning, Carmen. Great to talk with you. Thank you for the privilege. Well, it's great to talk with you as well. Um, thank you. I, I want to approach this as uh, from the standpoint that I really feel you are approaching it. I mean, you have a pastor's heart. This feels like a very pastoral letter um, that you have issued um, from the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee. We must not be silent on racism. Um, talk with us. Uh, talk with us about why you've made the statement and what it contains. Well, Carmen, I just came to this position about a year ago after 32 years pastoring the same church and uh, very committed to demonstrating love toward all people and understanding that the issue in today's world is not simply standing for the sanctity of human life, but standing for the dignity of human life um, regardless of the color of the skin. And just as I pastored my church, I want to lead uh, the Southern Baptist Convention and our churches towards having a heart for all people and understanding that this is the time that the church in America must rise up and answer this moment. And it's very important that, that leaders like myself uh, and others not only speak to the issue, but take actions in relationship to this issue to move us forward to speaking to this in our culture. So, Ronnie, uh, part of, and I want to direct people to the the video on Vimeo um, where Dr. Floyd shares the statement. The statement is also posted widely by the Southern Baptist uh, Executive Committee. Um, and I've tweeted it out as well. Um, I want to I want to lift up a few things. Um, I think that the point about silence is really significant. I do think, Ronnie, there have been times in the past when we felt like, well, it was better to let others um, speak. Um, and I certainly want to use the platform that God's given me to elevate the voices of others. So talk about what it means for a pastor and other church leaders not only to speak on this issue, and that is essential but also then to help others have opportunities to speak who might otherwise lack those? Well, this issue is obviously uh, a very sensitive issue anytime you speak to it. I think the unique thing about this moment in American history is that the death of George Floyd was so obvious, the murder, the, um, the abuse, uh, something clicked in that situation that for the first time I believe that I've ever seen, I really believe America is at a watershed moment about this issue. I think we are seeing a a beginning of a change in the trajectory. And this is the time that we we really cannot be silent. And People um, just cannot act like this did not occur, and I don't think they are. I think I think the vast majority of leaders uh, and persons in America have a have a real heart for what it ha- was happened. They may not know how to articulate it best, Carmen, but I, I tell you, everyone realizes that that should have never occurred under any situation at all. And um, and in this, this, again, is a moment that, that every church has to deal with, every town has to deal with, every city has to deal with. We've got to all look in the mirror 
and say, wait a minute, you know, what's in our heart? And, and, and what can we do about this? Now, you and I both know, Carmen, that anytime people start taking action, it can be from one extreme to the other extreme. And what we have to do as the church is we should personify the family. We should personify uh, people coming from all backgrounds and ethnicities. We should personify what Jesus said in the Word about loving one another. And and I, I don't know if the church has ever been given a greater opportunity than today to lead in this issue and to help shape the conversation about this issue. You know, when you say, um, when, you, when you talk about personification, um, we often talk here about what does it look like not just to represent Christ, but to represent Christ. Um, right. We are his body. We are a living demonstration of the gospel. Uh, we recently had a, a conversation with D.A. Horton, and the image that he uses, Ronnie, I think you'll appreciate this, is the image of a brochure. Like we, mm. as Christ's people in the world today, are the brochure that God mm. is using to show other people who he is and, you know, and, and the way home to a kingdom where ethnicity means something radically different. And so um, we are listening. We are seeking to hear, um, but we also cannot remain silent. I think that's a, a critical part of the statement um, that you have issued. Let me remind our listeners, I'm talking with Dr. Ronnie Floyd. He's the CEO and president of the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee. Uh, the statement that you're looking for is we must not be silent on racism. Um, you talk in here um, about, uh, well, you have a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I'm, I'm wondering if you'll read that and reflect on that for a moment. Sure. I'd be glad to. There are so many things you could quote, obviously, Dr. King, about this issue. We chose uh, to use this quote, and that is, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Uh, how appropriate. Um, and there have been times, you and I both know, where there's been way too much silence. And uh, But I'm telling you, what happened on the streets of Minneapolis, what has happened um, on streets and towns and cities across this country, uh, this just happened to be seen before... Uh, before video, before webcast, before television broadcast. I mean, it's been seen, they're telling how many millions of times. And and uh, the heart of America has literally wrenched over this issue. And I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged by that. I really am. I, I, I know that, that, that it's filled with a lot of challenges, but you know, anything, anything that involves uh, freedom, anything that involves uh, something powerful and meaningful, there's a cost. And we cannot, we cannot run away from the challenges of this because we are afraid of this or we're afraid of that. Listen, we should, we should fear most um, our walk with Christ, honoring God in the right way. And we should also fear that we don't treat people in the way that Jesus would want them to be treated regardless of the color of their skin. And I want to just urge all who are listening today, you know, this is a, this is a, a hard issue. Uh, this is something that every person, uh, from me to you to every person listening, 
we have to look at this. And you know what? We're going to be surprised at ourselves um, at times with the way we view things. And rather than just saying, well, that's the way I am, I think this is a time to question the, the innermost being of who we are. And is this what God wants from us in life? I'm talking with Dr. Ronnie Floyd. He's not just uh, the head of the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee. He, he's a pastor at heart. He's also a man of prayer. When we come back, I'm going to ask uh, Ronnie to talk about prayer plus um, and, and what, what we need to be doing as we pray. Uh, in in the midst of, you know, frankly, this great crisis that we're experiencing together in this convulsing society. We'll be right back. Together, we'll get through this. Together, there's no valley too deep, no river too wide, no mountain too steep. We can climb together. If you want to download uh, the statement that was issued By the Executive Committee of the Southern Baptist Convention, you just go to sbc.net, sbc.net. You can also find a video of Ronnie Floyd sharing uh, the statement on Vimeo. Uh, Continuing my conversation with Dr. Ronnie Floyd, he is the president and CEO uh, of the Executive Committee of the Southern Baptist Convention. He's a pastor. Um, I know him to be a man of prayer at heart. Um, Ronnie, let's talk about prayer. First of all, why pray? And then when we get up from prayer, what then do we do? Hmm. Well, great question. I believe that uh, we pray because God is the only one who can change any situation. And prayer moves our heart towards the will of God. And anytime we pray about something, Carmen, um, it, it gives us a heart for it. And, you know, I was wondering, you know, what is the best way to pray about all that's happening in our country, um, you know, obviously we can we can pray about matters uh, that this country desperately needs the hand of God, uh, the power of God. Uh, we need a spiritual awakening in America. Uh, we need the churches of America to rise up and 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 lead, not just through this, but through um, being what the church is all about. And if the church was really being all that it needs to be across America. Um, you know, perhaps some of the things that are that are happening about racial matters would not be occurring. Um, at the same time, we do know the sinfulness of people. But how do we pray through this? I mean, I think we have to pray about our own personal accountability to God. Um, I think when we pray for our country in this regard, we need to pray that 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 the rule will be by law and not be by preference. And I think that's very important. Uh, we need to pray that the uh, that justice will be administrated uh, impartially and fairly. Um, we need to pray about constantly uh, promoting and encouraging uh, the security of the dignity of human life in this country. Uh, I think our generation, Carmen, um, you know, would, when we look back, I think the first part of our generation. Um, or let's just say the the previous generation uh, really was very committed overall, the believers at that time, to the sanctity of human life and meaning um, sanctifying, believing in the power of the holiness of, of the human life in the womb. And obviously we believe that as well. 
but I believe our generation not only needs to be known for, for that, we need to be become the generation that's known for the dignity of human life, that every person matters. And the way we treat those people largely determines our relationship with God and our personification of relating to God. And you ask, what can we do about it? You know, what do we do when we rise up from prayer? We resolve that through the power of the Holy Spirit, God's going to give us the power to love people, that God's going to give us the power to, to, to see churches move forward and Christians move forward in treating not only one another right in a right manner, but treating all people in a right manner. And when we come to uh, significant moments like today with, with the memorial service for George Floyd, we obviously pray for his family. We pray for all those who are left uh, with this uh, in their lives. This was, this was someone's child. This was somebody's brother. This, this is very significant. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is challenging. All of us will go back to life uh, sooner or later, just like we would on anything. But we need to go back into life with a new resolve, with a new commitment that God is going to give us heart in this for all people like we have never had. And any, any hint of injustice should call us to speak and call us to do something about it to the glory of God. It has to be tangible um, and it has to be real. And it has to, um, it has to open the eyes of the hearts of people who are currently not seeing the problem as a problem, or see the people as the problem versus sin as the problem. Um, mm. And so uh, I'm, you know, I'm examining my own life. I'm doing what you've asked me to do as a, you know, as a Southern Baptist. I'm looking in the mirror. I'm I'm listening to uh, people of color. I'm seeking the Lord. I'm praying ardently. Um, I'm speaking, um, hopefully appropriately, as loudly as possible. Um, it does not. It does not happen. That does not happen without um, pushback and backlash. Speak to our brothers and sisters in Christ right now about the reality that this is not going to just be easy um, and simple. This is going to be hard, and it's going to take a long time. It really will. And I think the thing we must uh, do, we must resolve that we're going to go forward in this and and keep our eyes open, keep our heart open, keep our emotions tender about this and not just let it go away. Uh, this is one time when um, even as horrible as it, as it is, we need to remember the voice of what we heard uh, by George Floyd. We need to remember um, what occurred, even though we'd rather forget it. And we need to think of every person we see uh, as creations of God, and each person bears the mark of God's divine image in their life. And, you know, we may be criticized for statements. We may be uh, tempted to compromise in certain situations, um, but every every church has to deal with this. Every Christian, every town, every city, every denomination or convention, like we are, 
I mean, Carmen, you know, we have 47,500 churches in the Southern Baptist Convention, the largest non-Catholic um, organization, denomination in the United States. And, and you know, 23% of our, of our congregations are non-Anglo. Um, and while uh, that may not appear good, that is probably the most uh, multilingual, multi-ethnic denomination in the United States. And it's our committed to move that way past where it is. And in fact, you take the churches that we're planting now across America, we'll plant several hundred churches a year, and um, uh, probably 55 to 65% of those churches are non-Anglo churches. I mean, if the church is going to reach America, America's by the year 2050, um, America's not going to be uh, dominated by people uh, who are Anglo. Uh, it's 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 completely changed. In fact, I've seen the year 2043. There will be no majority in America in relationship to uh, the color of our skin. Uh, well, regardless of whether it's then, whether it's early. The church needs to look like one day heaven's going to look. And the Bible is real clear that one day heaven uh, will have representation from every tribe, every people, every language. And uh, that's the way this church needs to look today. And that's my resolve as a leader uh, of the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm going to do everything I can with all I have, with the resources entrusted to me. I can't control everything, I can't fix all the problems. But what I can do is that I can, I can hold a standard. I can set the thermostat. I can help guide the conversation from time to time. And when I have that opportunity, I will do it. I've done it before, and I will do it again. And I believe in it. And this is not something that uh, I have to work up in my heart. You know, I need to do this because it's the right thing. Listen, I've done this as a pastor for years. Uh, and, and I've done it in communities and cities, and I've done it when I was president of the National Day of Prayer. I did it when I was president of the Southern Baptist Convention, and I will do it now in this role as well. Ronnie, I'm so thankful for you as a brother in Christ. I'm so thankful that uh, you are in the position that you are in today. I am thankful that you are speaking. I'm thankful that you are praying. I th- I'm thankful that you are leading. Um, and we are with you um, in this Uh, And so as you go forth into this day, know that you go forth with the prayers of many. um, And thank you for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Genuinely appreciate it. Carmen, thank you for your encouragement. That means the world. And so uh, may the Lord bless you and everyone today. Hey, shout out to my uh, brother, John Wilkie, there in your office. Amen. Okay. All right, friends. So we got to take a a brief break, but then we've got an entire another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. In the next hour, I'm going to be talking with uh, Dr. David Stevens from the Christian Medical and Dental Association about the need for human touch. Also talking with Pastor Alan Jackson about intentional faith. Uh, We don't mature in Christ just by accident. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.